All right, good morning. I am excited to be here with you guys again today. I am looking forward to how the Lord is going to work in us and take us through a truth that uh, is a little bit complicated. So if you would open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, to Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at one verse primarily, but uh, we're going to talk about several others as we go. Again, if you would like to uh, see the notes on this, we don't have notes for a handout, but you can get them by emailing me or texting me. My number's in the bulletin. You can email me at thomasw at twelfth.co, thomasw at one two th.co. I'll give them to anybody. If you want that, instead of trying to keep up with writing down all the things that you hear today, especially the references for Scripture, uh, I wanted to talk about this today because I think that a lot of us have heard the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Am I right? I mean, we've said it probably in different contexts, and altogether it's not wrong. Uh, everything does really actually happen for a reason. There is cause and effect, but oftentimes we use this phrase in ways that does not uh, exactly mean what we intend, or it does not bring the hope we actually hope it brings. And uh, I want us to take a look at it today, and I want us to think through it. So this is going to be kind of a difficult sermon to walk through, a different text to walk through, because uh, we're going to kind of be talking almost, it'll seem, out of both sides of our mouths, out of my mouth. And so I'm going to talk about how everything really does happen for a reason, but not exactly how we mean it or intend it all the time. And so I want you just to hang with me as we walk through this text. Think you can do that? Yeah, all right, good. Um, Here's what... I want us to think about first. I want you to think about something in your life that you have gone through, which was overwhelming to the point uh, of where you might have had hope, but you felt like you didn't know how to endure it. Now, some of us may not have gone through something like that. Many of us have, whether it be the loss of a loved one or a, a grave illness that we or a loved one has gone through, whether it be a career-ending problem or mistake, uh, whatever it might be, many of us have gone through something where when we go through that time, it seems like nothing really helps us very much in those moments. And so I'm not going to ask any of you to contribute those things, but let me talk about one that I've mentioned before in here. Um, a lot of you know that, that my wife and I have been desirous of children ever since we got married. We got married a little bit later in life. I'll say that I was a little later in life. I would never say that about my wife, right? Um, but I was a little later in life. I was 32 when we got married, and I wanted to have kids. I don't know when it happened, but early on, I always wanted to have two kids. I was an only child. Somewhere between early on and after I became a believer, a follower of Christ, it went to 10 kids is what I wanted. Okay? That hasn't changed. It's just my wife hasn't agreed to that many yet. But in the midst of all that, after our first child, um, we, not long after Hannah was born, we got pregnant again. My wife got pregnant again. And uh, it wasn't very long into that that, that uh, we lost the baby. Now, I know that there are many in this room that have gone through something similar, and everybody handles those type of things differently. It was pretty overwhelming. I would say it definitely affected my wife differently than it affected me, just like grief affects everybody differently. Um, we were struggling through it, and we had many people say many things once we kind of shared that with our faith family at the time where we were living. Uh, and people said some really nice and helpful things, and everybody was trying to say things to help us out, but some people said things that were not helpful at all. You ever been there? And one of the things that I heard over and over again that wasn't helpful was this phrase, everything happens for a reason. And what people don't think about sometimes when they say those kind of things is that, yeah, everything probably does happen for some type of reason, but what you may not know is that many times some of us are walking through that thinking, I did something wrong already, right? And so we carry that burden even heavier when somebody says everything happens for a reason. You're like, yeah, it was probably my fault. 
I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I could have done this better, I could have done this thing, why didn't I do this thing before that time came, whatever it might be. But regardless of what you're thinking about or dealing with in those times, this kind of phrasing does not help. So the first thing I want to say to everybody is let me, let me give you some ideas of other phrases you might have said or heard or been spoken to you in this kind of context that would kind of be the same thing. And, and this is why it doesn't work, because it's okay to say everything happens for a reason, yes, that is true. Ultimately, that is true. Something caused that thing to happen. But the way in which we say it sometimes doesn't really line up with Scripture or, and or, it's not very helpful. So here we go. Everything happens for a reason. Here's a few other ways you might have heard it. God must be up to something for you to be going through this. How about God doesn't make mistakes. Everything happens for a reason. Or you must be very special for God to trust you with this. Or maybe it was something like, won't it be great to see how God uses this? I don't know about you guys, but it, some things we go through, I don't want to go through that just to see how God's going to use it in my life. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to be real. Or maybe it was this, this is a blessing in disguise. We actually heard that when we lost a child. There must have been a reason probably a blessing in disguise. Or isn't it good to know that everything happens for a reason? Let me give a little bit of a piece of advice. We've talked about it before, but just so I hit it again, I think it's worth mentioning. When you're with somebody or trying to love on somebody that's going through a difficult time, it's usually best not to say much at all. If you sit with them, you do what they do. If they sometimes will go through these weird phases when they're in the middle of a hard time where they may cry and then they may laugh a few minutes later and joke about something. And you just kind of roll with however they lead at whatever speed they go. One of the things to help you remember that is a good verse to put in memory, Romans twelve fifteen, which says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Don't try to make it better with your words because if it's that severe, it probably won't be better with your words. Now, I'm going to give you kind of the, what I'm, the point I'm going for today. I'm going to state it out loud. We're going to look at the biblical, biblical text together in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to think about how to view this a little differently, I don't want you to keep on saying everything happens for a reason in the midst of a difficult time. Even though that's the truth, I want us to look at a better way to think through this. This is just an internal thing, not for you to necessarily say to other people. But I want you to think about this. And this way of looking at it. Here we go. This is kind of the thesis statement for today. If you're going to write anything down, this would be the thing to write down for you to pray over and to kind of let sink into your heart as you review Romans 8 the rest of this week. Here it is. God doesn't cause all things, but he can work all things for your good in Jesus. Let me say it again. God doesn't cause all things. Some of you are going to struggle with that statement. I'll explain it in a minute. But God does not cause all things, but he can work all things for your good in Jesus. Let's look at Romans 8. I'm actually going to start back in verse 26 because I want to be able to kind of cover the whole context of what's going on. But we're, we're going to go through verse 30, but the main verse will be verse 28. So we'll read through, we'll kind of unpack the context, and we'll read that main verse again, Romans 8, 28, and we'll kind of jump from there. Romans 8, 26, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me pray for us before we go any further. Father, I ask today that you would work in our hearts. That, Lord, you would help us as many of us are going through difficult times right now. But we don't know what to do or what to say sometimes to help others or as we even go through these times. But Lord, you know what we need. And so today I pray that you would speak to us deeply, that your word would pierce our hearts and that we would see our hope can only be found in Jesus ultimately. And I pray that in him we find hope today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go back and look at verse 28. I'm going to break it down just a little bit, then we're going to break it down more throughout the rest of our time. So let's look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Let me say on the front end that this statement is not for everybody. It's offered to everybody. Anybody that hears the gospel, this statement is for you if you Believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. He caveats the whole statement. Look at it. He says, and we know that for those who love God, that means for those who actually love God, not just those who prayed some prayer, not just those who got baptized, not just those who've gone to church their whole lives, not just those who do things that are Christian or religious type things, but for those who love God. That's a true believer. We understand? You can do religious stuff all day long and not really love God. But for those who love God, we know this, all things work together for good. He doesn't say all things are good. He says all things work together for good, for those who love God. He goes on and says, for those who were called according to his purpose. So he kind of gives these two statements around that kind of main point that all things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. That's the one person he's talking about, the person who's actually a follower of Christ, one who loves God because God first loved us, and for one who has been called according to his purpose. And he goes on and gives that basement statement afterwards. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, he did that so that we would be his and be adopted into his family. And he goes on in verse 30 and he makes it clear, talking about that calling. He says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, God will do what he's going to do and nobody can mess that up. You understand? You cannot, the Bible word be, thwart his plans. You cannot mess up what he's going to do. 
He is sovereign over our choices. He is sovereign over our sinfulness even. He is sovereign over all things. In fact, let me give you a few points for this to help us understand a little better about where we're going today, all right? So here's the main point, right? God doesn't cause all things, but he can work all things for your good in Jesus. Let me give some caveat statements. Here we go. Number one, that God is in control of everything, and he is good always. He's in control of everything, and he is good always. Psalm 29, 9 through 10. Listen to these difficult words. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. He is over all things. You can go from story to story to story where David, who was a man after God's own heart, sinned against God. And he committed adultery. And the woman became pregnant and he killed her husband. And then God took his son. The Bible says that God afflicted his son. The Bible ascribes all over all weight of all things are under the sovereignty of God. We have to understand that. That doesn't mean that happens that way for everybody, but it doesn't mean that necessarily that God did that to that child in a certain way, but the resulting effect of the sin resulted in death. That's what happened from the very beginning in the garden. You go back to Genesis 3 and read it. When sin entered the world because people chose to love themselves over loving God and to love what the power might be if they could be like God over loving God himself, they fell into a place that we call sinfulness, which means we missed the mark. We're created to be perfect in the sense that we love God perfectly because he's first loved us, but we miss the mark because we fall short of that glory of God every day. And so because of that, because of that, sin has entered the world and it has ravaged everything and it has brought death. You know, we weren't originally created to die. Do you know that? That's why you are eternal in your being. You will live forever somewhere. We are eternal because we were never intended to die. Death entered the world through sin and sin through man. And therefore, all of us are sinners. But God is still in control and he is good always. 1 Peter 4.19 says it like this. Therefore, let those who suffer, listen, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Listen again. Let, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God allows things in your life. He allows things to happen, and we don't always understand. If you're struggling with that, go back and read Job and find someone who will resonate with you. A man who did not do anything to deserve what happened to him, but God allowed things to happen in his life. And he never, ever shook his fist at God. But at one point he asked him why, and God's response is, who are you, oh man, to ask me, God, why I would allow this to happen? There's some things we just won't understand until we're face-to-face with the king. It'll become all too clear then. But in these moments, we go through things we don't understand, but you need to understand God is in control and he's good always. Secondly, we need to understand this, that God is not the direct cause of everything that happens. I've already said a little bit in our major statement, right? God doesn't cause all things. He's not the direct cause of everything that happens. In other words, like, this is the big one. God did not and does not cause you to sin. He did not bring sin into the world, and he does not cause you to sin. He is not, he is not the author of your sin. He does not directly cause you to sin. That would go against his character. 
1 John 2, 15 through 17, says it like this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. God does not and has not ever caused sin. He's not the direct cause of everything that happens. We can't blame God for the fallen world in which we live. That was man's mistake. We can't blame him for all that. And we like to think about it that way, that we can blame God for things that happen. But look, even the resulting ramifications of that eventually are the physical death that all of us will endure unless Jesus comes back. You've heard it stated that the moment we are born, we begin our trek towards death, right? But I want you to understand what I said earlier. I'll say it again. Death was not God's design for us. It was not his design, although he knew that's what would happen when he created us. It was not his design for us. Lazarus' death is a good sign of that. You remember that story of John 11? One of your homework assignments is to read John 11, okay? Make a note. John 11. And read everything in there, and notice at the very beginning of that, Jesus gets word that John, Jesus gets word that Lazarus, one of his good friends, is, is, is sick, really sick. And it says in the Bible that he waited on purpose so that God would receive glory for what would happen. And he waited until he was dead, and then he went to Lazarus' tomb. He went to go see Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. And when he came to the second of the sisters, she comes out and says the same thing the first one says, but his reaction is different. You'll read the story. You'll see what I'm talking about. Let me give you the second one, though, when he sees Mary. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, in John eleven thirty two 32 and on, when, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of us have said things like that to God? We don't want to raise our hand about it, but God, couldn't you have done something? If you'd have just shown up for this thing, I wouldn't have to be going through this right now. I wouldn't have lost this person. I wouldn't have been in this situation. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the next two words were some of the most insightful words about God the Son. It says, Jesus wept. Look, death is not God's design. God hates death. He hates sin, and he hates it so much that he sent his one and only perfect, righteous, holy, beautiful, blameless, invaluable, like just immensely invaluable, more than we can ever imagine valuable, worth more than all of creation put together. He put that one son here so that he could walk the life and live the life perfectly that we could not live, so that he could die the death that we deserve so that we don't ever have to taste of death. That if we are in Christ, when we close our eyes in death, we don't ever really taste of death. We open our eyes in the presence of the Father. He removed it from us through the death of the Son who took our sin on his shoulders and died in our place as our substitutionary atonement. The one who died in our place assuaging the wrath of God, drinking it down so that it was satisfied. That's the wrath that we deserve for not living up to the glory standard that he set for us and being perfect. 
death was not God's design. He did not create us to die. And he hates it so much, and he hates the ramifications of sin so much that he sent Jesus to overcome it for us on the cross in our place. That's a God that we can long for. That's a God we can hope in. That he would give that one for us that we could be brought into the family of God even though we could never deserve it. That's a good God. That's one who's sovereign over death. That in Christ's death on the cross, he defeated Satan and sin and death and hell all so that we might be brought into the family. That he might be the first among many brothers and sisters. And that's a loving God. That's one who's in control. That's one who is, is worthy of our praise. Larry Osborne says about these sinful results that the fall of man created. He says, when it comes to the consequences of the fall, we aren't offered immunity. We're offered eternity. I don't understand why we have to go through it, but somehow God will receive more glory for it. And that's what's most important, no matter what goes on, that he receives glory and praise and adoration. And he will, in the end, it says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, because he deserves that kind of praise. Listen, God doesn't cause all things, but he can work all things for your good in Jesus. He does allow things. You need to understand this. He does allow things. 2 Corinthians 1, 9, it says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He allows things in our lives sometimes so that we might rely more on him. I can't give you a reason if you don't believe in Jesus this morning. I don't know why you're going through what you go through. I hope that it's so that you might turn to him and rely on him. But I know for those who are in Christ, he sometimes allows us to go through things that we might rely more on him. Because in those moments, he doesn't always just get us over it, but he brings us through it. And we find that our love for him is greater because of it. He does allow things. And everything God allows is not necessarily what he wants to happen for us. It's this weird thing about what God really wants ultimately for us and what he allows because sin has entered the world. Everything, listen, that God allows is not good. Not everything. So don't give credit to something being good that is not good. Don't tell somebody that everything happens for a reason and that, hey, God's got a good plan for you through this when they have cancer. That's not good. God hates it so much he gave his son to kill it. He hates it so much that he gave his son to overcome it. If it was a good thing, it would have been in the garden. If it was a good thing, it would be with us in eternity. It's not a good thing when death comes through disease. It's not a good thing when somebody loses someone they love. Let us not give credit to God for things that the enemy is for. Let us not take those things and place them in the wrong spot. Listen, I'll give you an example. I, I, I love this text because it rips me apart. Because I like to think about if God loves us, he'll just do all these good things for us. But listen, I've read it before. Hebrews eleven thirty two through 40. It's after he's gone through the hall of heroes, you might call it, where he's talking about all these people that God used for all these great magnanimous things. Hebrews eleven thirty two and all. Listen to what he says. 
And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. The switch doesn't even happen where you notice it. It's just there. And some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, we go through things sometimes that are not good. God never looks on these things these people went through and said, man, that's good. He doesn't want his children to be murdered and tortured and and destroyed like that don't attribute those things to him they're part of the fall that's a part of the work of the enemy and the part of the work of men who are sinful understand that god overcame that listen it says since god and and these men verse 39 and all these though commended through their faith did not receive what was promised because it had not yet come it's in jesus he says since god had provided something better for us in christ is the idea That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. But through Christ we are. What about the story of Joseph in Genesis 50? You know Joseph, right? If you remember the story growing up, the felt boards that you grew up with, right? Joseph. And let me say this too, by the way. Some Sunday school curriculum has this wrong. Make sure we let the scriptures teach us about the story of Joseph. We don't know if he was a jerk to his brothers. It doesn't say that exactly, but that's the story we've all grown up with, right? Let the scriptures tell us exactly the things and not let us put anything in the text, right? Let God speak to us and trust in that to be enough. But Joseph was a kid, and he was the most beloved by his father, and he got this wonderful coat, and his brothers got really mad, and they threw him down into this hole, and then they sold him into slavery and told his dad that he'd been killed. He was taken off in slavery another kingdom in a faraway land. And while there, he became one of the workers inside of the king's home, right? And the king's wife had a liking to him. And she tried to bring him in close for a little bit of personal attention, we'll call it this morning with the kids in the room. And he pulled away and ran away. She got so mad, she turned him in saying that she, he had tried to make her do those things with him. And so he's thrown in jail a long time in jail until he's able to uh, be known as someone who sees and understands visions and dreams. And so the king pulls him back out and brings him up and he gives these answers to the king about his visions and dreams. And then the king exalts him to one of the top people right under the king's authority, right? The Pharaoh's authority. And then all of a sudden, his brothers that threw him in the hole show up. And they show up because they are having a huge famine. In the land, and they show up to go to him because they're asking for help. They don't even recognize him, of course. And they get there and they ask for help. 
And he kind of at first doesn't tell him who he is, but later on when they come back, he reveals himself and they are, they are repentant. They are just done for. They can't believe what's happened. They are so repentant about what they did. And listen to what Joseph says just in Genesis fifty twenty. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Because Joseph had interpreted a dream that saved all the land where he was, and people from all around came over and got food from them because they didn't have any. So it saved many people. And repeat it again, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now people take that verse, you're probably familiar with that idea. If not, that's where this comes from. Everything happens for a reason, right? Most people think about a story when it comes from that. He's not saying here that God caused it to happen to him and that that was good. Now, God allowed it to happen to him, but he's saying what you meant for evil, God has used for good. That lines right up with the Romans 8. Listen, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, like Joseph, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You may go through a disease that ravages your body or brings you to death. You may lose someone you care for. You may go through something that you wish you never had to go through. You may go through something that, that you can't imagine you could ever walk through and survive. And you may not even survive it. But I'm telling you now that God loves you so much that he brought Jesus into this world to bring you into his family. So that even when you go through things like that. He can still bring good things to you through those times. And understand that while things may happen in this temporary life here, the ultimate purpose of this statement is an eternal statement. It's not just about the past, the present. It's ultimately about the future. So when you read that verse again, he says, And we know that for those who who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That means eventually you're going to be brought into the family of God and all that's going to be wiped away. Revelation chapter 21, that, that all your tears will be removed. No more crying, no more weeping, no more mourning. We will celebrate with God and be with him forever. He will be our God. We will be his people and he will be with us forever. Ultimately, all things will work together for our good because God works them to be that way. If you're in Christ. If you love him and are called according to his purpose. God doesn't cause all things, but he can work all things for your good in Jesus. And just so we make sure we're clear here, God doesn't approve of our sin or other people's sins toward us, but he has overcome it through Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? I've heard people say crazy things. That, that, that the thing that happened to you is a victim, that that was, that, that God... You know, he was for that. That was going to be a good thing for you. No. But God can work in that to do good things for you. But that's not a good thing for you if you were victimized. He doesn't cause all things, but he can work all things for your good. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Listen. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You can be delivered from your sin and from fear of death in Christ today. If you put your hope and faith in him. God doesn't cause everything like our sin. But he can work all things for your good in Jesus. In fact, he's already worked for you in Jesus. Let me give you another one. Getting to the end here. Listen in. Lean in a little bit. 
don't go around. Let us not do this, brothers and sisters. Let's not go around and blame God for our dumb choices. You know what I'm saying? Oftentimes I hear somebody say, man, you don't understand it now, but man, I did this thing and it was so good. You know, I know I had an affair. I'm not speaking personally. I'm speaking of what I've heard. Just make sure I'm clear on that, okay? I know I had an affair and that was wrong, but God, man, it was a good thing ultimately because now I'm in this really good marriage and we both love Jesus. My previous wife didn't love Jesus. You can say that, right? People say that. That's crazy. That's not good. That's not right. God doesn't. Don't, don't blame God for your poor choices, that he made that happen in you, that he kind of paved your way to adultery. It doesn't work like that. I will give you a personal one now, right? It is not God's fault that I had a DUI back in May of 2001 so that I could then reassess my life and come to know him. Did God use that thing where I spent the night in jail here in Etowah County? Yeah, he used that thing. He certainly did. It wasn't the last thing he used before he brought me to faith. But it was one of them. But it wasn't his fault that I did that. It's because I drank too much. It's because I got behind the wheel of a car. It's because I made a dumb choice, a really dumb choice, right? We're talking about six dumb things smart Christians believe, right? That was a really dumb one. You've made dumb choices. People make dumb choices. Don't give God the credit for your dumb choices. Own them up, right? Own it. And what's amazing, listen, let me give you this little tidbit. When you own up to your dumb choices in front of other people, and you point to God's goodness in spite of those choices, that's when he gets the glory and people will really listen to you as you share Jesus with them. When they think that you're perfect or that you act like you're perfect, they don't want to hear about you because they're not. They know it. But when you talk about the choices you've made, the bad things you've done, and how God brought grace to you, that he brought forgiveness to you, that he has overcome those things, that's a moment to lead people to Christ. Listen, God doesn't promise to save us from all the consequences of our bad choices either. He promises to work all things to our eternal good, no matter how bad we mess up, if we love him and are called according to his purpose. But he doesn't wipe the slate clean. I still had to spend the night in jail. I still had to go without a license for three months. I still had to have that on my record for a long time. I still have to see people today that know that every time I go to the store. And all the other bad things I've done. We can't blame God for those things. Here's the last one on this. We can't blame God. This is really big. A lot of people do this. Some of us in here have done this. We can't blame God for our misplaced hope. Listen, we can't blame God for our misplaced hope. He doesn't cause all things. He did not bring death into the world because he just wanted to bring death on us. We brought death by our living in sin. Adams fall into sin. We sin against God. We get ramifications and consequences for those things. There are results in that. So don't put something on God that says, God, you know, if you really love me, you're going to save this person. If you really, God, if you're really there, you're going to do this thing because you're good, right? So you wouldn't want anybody to die. You wouldn't want anybody to have to suffer for these things or have to go to jail for what they did. If you really love them, don't put that on him. That is their choices, their consequences, your choices, your consequences, or the impact of sin that God is not the author of. But even in that, God can use those things and work in those things to bring good to you if you have your hope and faith and trust in Christ. Let us not give the bad credit that's due to our sinfulness or that's due to the enemy to God. Let us give him glory for giving us Jesus. 
God doesn't cause all things, but he can work all things for your good in Jesus. You may ask the question, why didn't you just send Jesus back now and fix it all and do it all and take away all this bad stuff? Maybe you've been praying for that since you've known Christ. Maybe you were doing that 20 years ago. I'm really glad he didn't do it back then. You know why? Because I wouldn't be with you right now, even in heaven. God answers the question for us. We want him to come back. Yes, Lord, come back now. But listen, this is why he tarries. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, Peter tells us, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Thank you, Lord. Not wishing that any should perish. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He tarries because he loves us. He tarries because he's not collecting his family. He tarries because he wants you to put your hope and faith in him today. Again, or maybe for the first time. He wants you to go from death to life with him in Christ. No matter what we endure in this life, brothers and sisters, I want you to know. No matter what you go through, we never endure it alone. My last piece to you is this. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, if you're in Christ, if you have put your hope and faith in him, if you, if you have believed on him, in other words, if you love God and have been called according to his purpose, we can say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can anyone do to me? Because I have him. And while bad things may come, if I'm called according to his purpose, and if I love him because he first loved me in Christ, I will be with him. And he will work all things to my good. Let us put our hope and faith there. Because God doesn't cause all things. But he can work all things for your good in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, you are good and righteous and holy. I thank you, Lord, that you have loved us more than we can imagine or ever repay. Help us to love you again because of what you've done for us in Christ that we would not trust in our abilities to overcome, but we would trust in your son Jesus and what he did to overcome all things on the cross so that he could work all things to our good if we love him back. Help us to love him, Lord. Please call men and women and children according to your purpose, even today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.